Good morning. I'm Clara. I'm one of the pastors here. I'm glad that you're here. Pray that you feel welcomed. Um, in a book called Operation World, um, strateg- strategists and researchers got together and accumulated the information of the status, spiritual status of the world, of the different nations. And they did this with the purpose of enabling the church to know how to pray for the different nations. Um, you can check out the website at www.operationworld.com. And daily they'll have posted a particular country so that you can, if you pray with them, you'll be praying with thousands of other Christians all over the world for that nation, for God to come through for them. Um, They have a website. On their website they have some information on the United States, so I looked it up to see what they were saying about us. And they stated that we're the third largest nation in the world. We have 317 million people. 641,007 people. Well, I mean, if you were one of the seven, you would want to be counted too, right? (laughs) Okay. And they estimate that of those people, 30% of them are evangelicals. And what what they mean by that is they are seriously following after God, 30%. Now, that would mean for San Antonio, if we were a typical American city, we would have 1.5 million residents. That would mean 1 million of the city's residents are not considered committed followers of Christ. Now, we all know San Antonio is not a typical American city, right? I mean, we host some of the largest uh, mega churches. We have Cornerstone, right? That's a big church. Uh, We have Oak Hills Church, you know, with pastor um, and very popular writer, Max Lucado. They even have, for you NBA fans, they have the guy named uh, David Robinson, who's one of the associate pastors there. Draws a lot of people there. We have Harvest Fellowship. We have BRCC that's just down the street. So if you don't like this, you can go over there. <laughs> okay. We have Northwest Hills Baptist Church, and we have CBCs and all their satellites. I mean, we have a lot of mega churches. Okay, so that beefs it up a few thousand more. So maybe 31%, maybe 32% for San Antonio. We need God. That leaves a lot of people in this city that don't know him. Okay, last week I talked about how sharing our faith is kind of like um, going to college where you enroll to some basic co- core curriculum, you know, that everybody has to take. If you're a Christian, you take this basic core curriculum, and you're expected to do it. Everybody takes it when you go to college. And for Christianity, the two that I, I – the three I talked about was one was service, how God uses service to help us reach the lost. Matthew 20, verses 26 to 28, whoever wants to become great among you, must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And then I talked about hospitality, how God uses hospitality as a means to um, reach the pre believers in our lives. And the scripture there was from Romans twelve thirteen Share with God's people who are in need, practice hospitality. And we talked about the use of our mouth. We need to use our mouth, right? 
Mark 16:15 says, he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. You know, no one's going to look at you and be so amazed by your service and say, wow, because of the way you've served me, now I know there's a God in heaven and his name is Jesus Christ and I need to have him as my Lord and Savior. You know, you're so hospitable. Now I know that I'm convicted in sin and need a personal relationship with God through his son Jesus. That's just not going to happen. We have to, at some point, speak. We have to share where our service and our hospitality comes from. Well, this morning, I want to go back to verse 6 of Colossians 7. We're still there. Because there is one word that is the key to successful evangelism hidden in that verse. And when I taught from that verse, I omitted using that word because I wasn't ready to just slide by it. I wanted to give us some time in that one word. And that word is misinterpreted. And when we misinterpret it, what ends up happening is we do evangelism in the flesh. We do it in our own strength. And without the correct understanding of this word, it's not going to work. Our winsome personality, for those of you that are like that, our ability to argue clearly, logically, uh, why God exists is not going to be enough. Now, you guys know who John Newton is? Anybody? He's a dead guy, not a live one. Okay, he's not a singer. Yeah, John Newton probably wrote the most famous hymn that we know of, Amazing Grace. And... um. Are the words on there, Benjamin? No? Okay. Well, then I'm going to read it to you. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found, was blind, but now I see. T'was grace that taught my heart to hear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've already come. T'was grace that brought us safe thus far, and grace will lead us home. When we've been there 10,000 years, bright shining as the sun, were no less days to sing God's praise than when we first begun. Amazing grace. How sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. I once was lost, but now I'm found. Was blind, but now I see. Now, this original poem, or possibly a heartfelt prayer from Mr. Newton, has in the last two centuries probably become our anthem for Christianity. When people think about Christianity, they think Amazing Grace as our national anthem. The word grace has therefore become very common. And I think so familiar to us that we don't even think what it means. And maybe that's probably the problem with this particular song, we sing without questioning, what is it meaning? You know, the word grace has become kind of like a Christian chatter, like praise the Lord. You know, it's like a filler, praise the Lord. And we don't know what to say, praise the Lord. And when we're thinking about what we're going to say, praise the Lord, we say praise the Lord. Right? It becomes one of those kinds of chatter. Praise God. Amen. And often in prayer, this is what I hear when we blow it. Oh, God, I thank you for your grace. But that is not the meaning of the word grace. We've accepted a meaning 
to the word grace, which is not its intent. And if you have, now prior to me giving you this setup, if I were to ask you guys, hey, what do you think the meaning of grace is? The majority of you would have said unmerited favor from God. But now you're a little shy. Not sure. I think she's setting me up for something, right? The definition that is widespread used in the church is unmerited favor, God showing us favor, even though we do not deserve it. God is kind to us. He's long-suffering all the time, and he gives us what we don't deserve. Now, I am not denying the fact that God is not good or kind. I don't need to make a case for Christ that he's kind and generous. And gives us what we don't deserve. But that is not the true meaning of the word grace. And when we accept the word grace to mean unmerited favor, we are cutting ourselves at the legs. We're robbing ourselves from a greater revelation of what that word means. We've robbed ourselves from the incredible, empowering presence of God in our lives. And we're destroyed for lack of Knowledge. You know where it says um, the truth, know, knowing the truth will set you free or whatever that one? It isn't the truth that set us free. It's knowing the truth that will set us free. That we don't deserve it is mercy. That's our daughter's name. We didn't deserve her. <laughs> no, the good way. We didn't deserve her. She's awesome. It's not grace. Grace and mercy are not the same thing. Grace does not mean unmerited favor. Now, I want to ask you three questions as I'm making this point. Question number one. If grace is unmerited favor, then why does God only give it to the humble? But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. How can God discriminate between proud and humble people if grace is unmerited, not deserved? If grace is unmerited favor, shouldn't it be given equally to the proud and to the humble? Second question. If grace is unmerited favor, why can we fall from grace? Hmm. You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen from grace. Galatians 5.4 If grace is unmerited favor, once I've got it, how can I lose it? I mean, if I didn't deserve it when I got it the first time, how come I now suddenly don't deserve it if I'm still acting like I need it? Yeah. Last question. If grace is unmerited favor of God and Jesus has filled filled with it, do we mean that Christ was filled with unmerited favor from God? The word grace has to mean something other for these verses and these phrases to make sense. And how do we get there? Now in the Old Testament, the word grace in Hebrew is used a few times. And there, the word does mean to stoop down in kindness to an inferior. But in the New Testament, there is a new meaning, a new covenant. Jesus came to fulfill the law. A new covenant has been written by his blood and validated by the Holy Spirit. We're the new deal. Grace is new. But what we do when we take the Old Testament understanding and put it to the New Testament, new covenant understanding, is kind of like downloading uh, a virus 
into computer. In the Bible, the word is used 170 times, the word grace. 33 times in the Old Testament. 131 times in the New Testament. And if you open your, pick up your Bible, the majority of that heavy book is the Old Testament. And a little bit of it is the New Testament. Okay, so a lot more times was that word being used in the New Testament because there was a new understanding for the people of what that meant. Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only four times. So the majority of the times that we're going to bump into the word grace is going to be by Paul, who did it, used it 99 times. Luke, who was his doctor, and at times his scribe, used it 10 times. So if we're going to grasp the understanding of the word grace, I'm going to concentrate on the New Testament, and particularly Paul and some of Luke. But we need to look at what that word means. It does not mean a merited favor. It's much more than that. And once we understand it, it will be the key that unlocks our whole life, and particularly evangelism. The scripture that we're looking at is, Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Colossians 4, 6. So you're thinking, okay, Clara, so tell me, what do you think it means? If I could show you what Jesus meant by that word, would you believe me then? Let's pray. Come, Holy Spirit. Come and um, season these words that we've talked about, Lord, with your power. We come with a teachable spirit, Lord. We really do not want to sit here being bored. None of us really wants to do that. We come with a teachable spirit for you to change our mind, open our mind, and show us what we're lacking in this word grace. And we're asking you, Holy Spirit, to be visiting us as we listen and as you do what you want to do. We trust you, Lord. Amen. Okay, if we could turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. Now, Paul's talking to a church that really has a big interest in the supernatural. They like angelic visitations. They like ecstatic experiences. They were passionate about revelation and prophecy and vision. I mean, they were really into that. And so Paul is going to talk to them. And when he talks to them in this passage that we're going to look, like, look at, he talks about somebody in the third person. He says a he. Okay? Now, the he is actually himself. Okay? But he's talking about it as a he because he's trying to make a point about them making a big deal about people that have these kinds of experiences. So it's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verses 1 to 10. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I don't know. God knows. He was caught up to paradise, and he heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool, because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given to me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan who tormented me 
Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will not boast all the more gladly about my weakness. I will boast so that Christ's power may rest on me. Now, did you know that Jesus speaks in red? Always. So you run into red in your Bible. You go, oh, that's Jesus talking. Okay, and what does Jesus say? My grace is sufficient, meaning it's enough for or because my power is made perfect in your weakness. Grace is power. What Jesus means is my grace, my power. Jesus' definition is grace is power. You know, in the Hebrew, in Jesus' knew a lot of Hebrew, he knew Arabic, they often couple these two words together, these phrases together, and that's what he's doing here. This is far more than unmerited favor. Grace is the empowering presence of God for you to do what God wants you to do and be what he's called you to be. Now, the first time Randy and I ran into this definition was from a pastor that, went to, that was pastor of a vineyard church in Boulder, Colorado. His name was Jane Riles. And this is his definition. Grace is the empowering presence of God enabling me to be who God made me to be and do what God has called me to do. I want us to read that together. Could we do that? Grace is the empowering presence of God enabling me to be who God made me to be and do what God called me to do. But for decades, the church has been confused And we've confused grace with the word mercy. So when God opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble, that makes more sense. If you substitute the phrase empowering presence of God, or the shorter version power, it's going to make more sense. God opposes the proud but gives his empowering presence, his power to the humble. Now mercy, on the other hand, is unmerited favor. Now, does God give unmerited favor to the pride, prideful and to the humble? Yes, he does. I'm an example of that. Okay, when it rains, it rains on good people's yards and it rains on bad people's yards. By the tender mercies of our God, the dawn from on high will break upon us to give light to those who sit in darkness and in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. God gives mercy indiscriminately. Pride people, prideful people, nice people, bad people, humble people. Now, if I'm a prideful person, I am not interested in doing what God wants. I'm going to want to do my own thing. I could care less what God wants. Pray, not going to happen. Because I'm a prideful person. I'm going to depend on myself and my own strength to get things done. And that kind of person may receive the mercy of God to cover for them, but they will not receive his grace, his empowering presence to do what they want to do. Not going to happen. Prideful people have to do it on their own. Now, let's look at... um, Okay. I think one of the reasons why God gives power to the humble because Guess what a humble person is? Is somebody who agrees with God. We're yes people. Yes, God. You want me to become the president 
of the United States. Yes, God, I will do that. Okay. You want me to uh, wash the windows at church and nobody knows about it? Yes, God, I'm willing to do that. Whether it's a great call or a simple call, a humble person says yes to God. I mean, think about it. If you were 16 and God said to you, Hey, I'm going to inject you with uh, heavenly semen and you're going to bear a child. What was her response? She was humble. Yeah, we're coming to Christmas. She said, yes, praise God. She said, yes. Okay, let's look at the second question I mentioned. That if, we have un- if grace is unmerited favor, how does one fall from grace? You who are trying to be justified by law have been alienated from Christ. You have fallen away from grace. When someone comes to Christ and then decides to do the religious thing, I'm going to get approved by God. I'm just going to be better person. Because I've got to prove that I'm a good person to God and to others. I, I, I. It is about, that is called a religious spirit. When you're depending on yourself to approve yourself to God. It's works, it's laws, it's do's and don'ts. And if that is the way you're going to walk your walk with God or the way you're going to relate to God, then guess what? You're on your own. God is not going to empower us to live a religious life. Can you all say that? God is not going to empower us to live a religious life. Isn't that liberating? Haven't you been stuck there? Now, he wants us to fail. He really, if that's what you're going to do, he wants you to fail. Because he's hoping that in the failure you come to realize, God, if you don't do this, I can't. That's going to lead us to death when that is the way we relate to God. Now, let's look at this last question I brought this morning. If Jesus was filled with God's grace, was Jesus therefore filled with unmerited favor from God? Or was he filled with the empowering presence of God, enabling him to be and do what he called him to do? Which one is it? Let's look at Acts. Okay. Now, remember... Acts was written by a guy who hung out with Paul a lot. So he knew Paul's theology. He knew his vocabulary. And so we're going to find Luke using these terms in his own writings as he documents what the church was all about. Acts chapter 4, verse 32 and 33. Now the whole group of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one claimed private ownership of any possession, but everything they owned was held in common. With great power, the apostles gave their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Great power is great power. I mean, the Holy Spirit gave them power to witness. Grace was upon them all. To do what he wanted them to do and be what he wanted them to be. He's alive, you guys. You crucified him. You saw it. He's alive. He's not dead. I'm telling you, he is alive. It was a real thing to them. It was not a nice Sunday school class. It was the real deal. You, who cannot see, see. 
You who cannot hear, hear. He gave witness to great power. And that is what Luke saw. Now, when Luke was writing Acts, there was a lot of persecution happening to the church. So a lot of them got dispensed and had to move and flee from the danger that was occurring. But wherever they went, they preached with power. Let's look at Acts 11, 19 to 23. Now those who were scattered because of the persecution that took place over Stephen traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, or Cyrus. I don't know how to say that. Cyprus, okay. And Antioch. And they spoke the word to no one except Jews. But among them there were some of Cyprus and Cyrene who, on coming to Antioch, spoke to the Hellenist, also proclaiming the Lord Jesus. The hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number became believers and turned to the Lord. News of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he rejoiced, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast devotion. Now the phrase, hand of the Lord, I mean, what do you think that meant? Big helium balloon floating around with them as they did their stuff? No, it's a figure of speech. It's a figure of speech for the power of God. And Luke is using phrases like the power of God, the hand of God, the grace of God to explain what he saw. He saw power. God's manifest power, present. The empowering presence of God enabling them to be and do what he called them to do. I mean, they were fishermen, for goodness sake. They were wealthy women. They were ex-prostitutes. They were tax collectors. Jealous siblings of Jesus. And he enabled them to do what he wanted them to do. They were no longer ordinary people. They outclassed themselves to the people that they talked to. They talked to kings. Rulers. Guards. They were enabled beyond their education, beyond their personality. Wow. Beyond Myers-Briggs? That's awesome. That's real power. Okay. They were enabled to witness beyond their comfort zones. And that is what God offers us today. Oh, my gosh. His grace, his empowering presence. Acts 14, 1 to 3. The same thing occurred in Iconium where Paul and Barnabas went into the Jewish synagogue and spoke in such a way that a great number of both Jews and Greeks became believers. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and poisoned their minds against the brothers. So they remained for a long time speaking boldly for the Lord who testified to the word of his grace by granting signs and wonders to be done through them. They were speaking boldly. And the Lord bore witness of what they were saying by granting them power, grace, and signs and wonders. They said and did things that could not have been done without the empowering presence of God flowing through them. Wow. Now some of you came this morning with needs. Whatever you have, whatever you need. God's empowering presence is here today to meet that need. Grace is power. It is not unmerited favor. 
And when we believe that grace is unmerited favor, we rob, diminish the potency of that word. We're acquiescing to a mindset that the church culture has. And it is the key word that will make the difference, that will make the series of Colossians that we've been on since February happen. It will give us the ability to fulfill God's purposes, his principles, his calling in our lives. The whole Bible, in that one word, grace. Otherwise, we are dead meat. We are not going to be able to do one good thing that matters without the empowering presence of God in our life. And that is what God's offering to us today. Now, I have one more question. If you really believed this word to me, what it means, would it make a difference for your life tomorrow? When I'm going to go iron on Monday, the grace of God! (laughs) When you go to work and you have the empowering presence of God with you, will it make a difference? Will it make a difference in how we evangelize? The empowering presence of God there, yippee. With the, oh, the grace of God. Oh, only by the grace of God. Only the grace of God. No! The grace of God, the empowering presence of God. I don't want us to live a pitiful life. I made another mistake today. Oh, I just need your grace, God. just need your grace. Yes, you do. You need God's grace. Now, if we take this definition, and let's look at Colossians 4, 6. Let your conversation be always full of grace. You see why I skipped that word? Because I wanted to pause for us to get what that word meant, season with Saul, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Grace is power, power from God. By grace we are saved, and by grace others will be saved. Not by unmerited favor, but by the power that rose our Christ from the dead. That is the grace I'm talking about. So our evangelism does need to be full of grace, the power of God. Now in the vineyard, we have this phrase that we call the power of evangelism. Okay? And it comes from Matthew 10, 7, 8. As you go proclaiming this message, the kingdom of heaven, Jolene, please be coming forward, has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, give out, drive out demons, freely you received, and freely give. Now, I've asked Jolene to just share a little story of hers. Late in February... I went to work one night in the ICU. And as I walked in the door, I heard, Hurry, Jolene, get down to room two. You've got a chopper coming in. You've got a 19-year-old boy. And he's bleeding out in his brain. This guy was into extreme sports, right? Loved him. Thrived. He had a huge brain bleed. They did an EEG. That's an electrocephalogram. And it shows whether you have any brain activity or not. Well, guess what? 
He scored a three. Three is bad. Three is very bad. Three means you call TOSA. TOSA is organ procurement. I went in there and I said, dear God, dear God, if there is anything left in here, raise this young man up. Dear God, you are bigger than this. You are more powerful than this. Forty people in the waiting room praying. His parents said, how do we pray? And I said, you pray, God's will be done. I prayed and prayed. I was with that young man all night long. I walked around his bed. I put Caleb on my cell phone, put it at his head, and I said, Dear God, if there's anything here, Lord, raise him up. Raise him up that you might be glorified in the heavens and the earth. Nothing. Nothing. No gag reflex. No corneals. Nothing. Eight o'clock the next morning. Here's organ procurement there. People have flown in from all over the United States. This is a young body. We can harvest a lot of organs. We can, we can touch 150 lives. Surgery's ready. Everybody's ready. Parents come in to say goodbye. To say goodbye to their little Ernie. Oh, yeah, he knew Jesus. They knew he was going to go to heaven. And Big Ernie grabbed his son's hand. And he says, son, I love you so much. His son grabbed back. He says, Jolene, he grabbed my hand. And I'm like, you know, I've been praying all night for this. Lord, if it's your will, raise him up. Raise him up, God. I go running to his side. I, I say, grab my hands. And he, he grabs my hands. I'm like, push on my hands. Push your feet on my hands. He pushes them. He can't see me. He opens his eyes. He can't see me. He's alive. Surgery's standing at the door. He's alive. God has raised him from the dead. He raised him from a three to a fifteen. He's alive. This young man now can see. This young man, I got to witness this summer as this tumor was shrunk down to a little bitty piece with photon rays. This young man is in med school now. All because of the empowering grace of God. The empowering presence of our Lord and Savior. Now, you may say, is God still the same? I hear people saying, God doesn't do this anymore. God is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And his power is here for each and every one of you to see. People raised from the dead, people healed, and people set free. And God wants each of you to see that. And he wants you to take that very deep into your heart so that you can see this happen too. Do you have enough faith? Do you believe in the empowering presence of Christ?
She's excited. She does this all the time. <laughs> she, she's a little angel in that hospital. Now, what's unfortunate in the vineyard is that we sometimes divide evangelism as its own little thing, right? And we forget to, that there are many gifts that God has empowered us with to use in evangelism. Now, take, for instance, this gift of prophecy, Okay, you know, prophecy um, is a cool thing, God's speaking to us, and that's really fun, but it becomes very introspective in the vineyard. Okay, we use it for Sunday services, maybe a community group, maybe a women's group getting together. But often outside of the walls of the church, we forget to use the gifts. We forget that we have the empowering presence of God to do the very things that he's called us to do. But in the New Testament, you will find God using the gifts to tear down the strongholds, to tear down resistance so that pre-believers could come to know him. Now, in 1989, Randy and I um, were going to the vineyard in Phoenix. And we went uh, with a group of folks to go to England to be part of the ministry team there in England. Uh, John Wimber was at that time was alive and was having ministry teams go to England a lot because that was a hot spot. And so we got to go with him. We were two of a hundred people, so it's not like we were extra special people. And one morning before we went to the trip, I saw a vision of a spiral staircase. And then I heard these words, you're going to meet someone who was sexually molested by her uncle when she was 12 years old. Great. So I shared that with our team so we could pray about it. And I prayed about it for the weeks before we went out to England. Now, when I arrived to England, we had a lot of opportunities to minister to women. And the majority of them had been molested by somebody, a friend, a relative, a neighbor. But I never, ever felt any release to ask that question. Just it kind of get there, and I'm like, nah, nah, nah. And I figured I'm just a little shy. I'm still new on this thing. I'm not really sure if I know how to do this. And I just figured, oh, well. Now, we were there for a couple of weeks. And toward the end of the time we were there, we were given a time, afternoon, to do some sightseeing. So Randy and I had talked and dreamed about possibly going to Oxford University to study together. It was before we had kids. Well, no, we had three kids then. Yeah. I think when we thought the three were going to be out, we would go back there. Anyway, we were thrilled. <laughs> then two more came. We were thrilled when part of the sightseeing was to go to Oxford University and walk it. I mean, this is like a dream come true. Very exciting. And while I was there, I saw something that made my heart stop. I saw the spiral staircase that I had seen in the States weeks before. So I'm looking, where is she? <laughs> there was no, nobody. I'm like, oh, my gosh, I'm totally making this up. So we were toward the end of our ministry time there, and we were, it was our last night at High Wycombe. Is that how you say it? Okay. Um, and we were ministering and stuff, and it was really, God came in great power. I mean, we saw people get healed and delivered. It was awesome time. And it was the end of the evening. We're finally done, and I'm, oh, great. And these two gals in their 20s come up to me, one of them looking kind of masculine and kind of harsh looking. And I'm like, oh, not the kind of people I want to talk to. And the other one says, you know, she says, 
she talks to her friend. She says, would you be willing to, you know, minister to my friend? So I said, yeah, sure, you know. So I'm trying to talk to her and stuff, and clearly she does not want to talk with me. She does not want ministry from me at all. I mean, she was forced to go to this meeting. She did not want to be there. Before I knew it, I said, were you molested by your uncle when you were 12 years old? Totally vetoed all my reasons why I wouldn't say that. And she said, yes. How did you know? I've not told anyone. And so we began to talk. I began to share God's love for her. That he loved her so much that he was willing to tell me so that we could talk. And she could experience his love and his forgiveness for her. Now, she did not want deliverance about some sexual issues she had at that time. But she was willing and wanting to seek Jesus out. Because here was a man that was willing to love her, even with her past. God gave me grace that day to show someone his mercy, his unmerited favor. Let's not forget the gifts, you guys. Prophecy. I experienced this on occasion with evangelism. We'll all get insight. You know, we should be asking God... Will you give me something to get through to this person? Please, God, show me something so I can talk to her or talk to him about your love, that you care. Now, Benjamin, would you mute this, or Jim, would you mute the tape? Because I want to share something I don't want on the tape. And I'll tell you when you can put it back on. It's our family. When someone comes to you and says, I'm not feeling good, well, would you be okay if I pray for you? God wants us to reach his world, and he wants to empower us to serve, to be hospitable. Open your home. Open your hearts. Use your mouth. But do it in the empowering presence of God. Next week, I'm going to talk a bit more about grace because grace makes a big deal if we're going to be dealing with temptation, we need the empowered presence of God. How do we fall from grace? Should we look at that verse and see how that happens? How does grace come upon grace? Would you like to know how that happens? So we're going to talk about grace again next week. So if you thought this week was okay, next week will be better. Let your conversation be seasoned, right, full of grace. What's the same? Conversation to be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. Okay. Would you like some empowering presence of God this morning? Yeah? Then stand up. Stand up. Awesome. This is what's going to happen, you guys. Um,
I'm scared. <laughs> Our community group is doing um, this series. Um, what is it called? Um, small handprint, big footprint. And it's about, I don't know, something like that. It's about um, making an impact in this world. And the last question that we had, um, <laughs> it was about this four-step process in our life that we go through. And it was really confusing because it, it used really big words like, I don't, does anybody know? Consecration, sanctification, blah, blah, blah. And then the last one was reformation, which means... Um, Basically, uh, it, it was asking where in this step of where in these four steps are you, and how are you going to get to reformation? Meaning, how are you going to get to, um, you know, making a, a bigger impact in this world? <laughs> and all of us were like, "This is a really weird question," you know. And we all were like, "Well, Cindy and Kevin are at that place because." You know, they're older and they've gone through life and they're in India and they have like, you know, they have something that they um, are passionate about and they're and they're going towards and they're helping people. And I was just really conflicted with this question because to me it it was like um, we we have to go through this process before we can go out and make a difference, which um and, and we're not going to, and in our daily lives, we're not going to be there every day. We have to, you know, get old, sorry, not old, but get older, get older like Cindy and Kevin and have, and then, you know, go through life, have a job, have a normal life. And then one day, you know, God will bring something to us. And then that's when we go make a difference. And I was like, God, why do I have to wait until I'm older to make a difference? And I asked God, and I said, God, you know, because Blake and I are kind of in our in our life right now. We're asking, you know, what's our purpose? What's our calling? And God spoke to me. He's like, Bethany, you know, why are you even asking me this question? You know, I, I when you wake up in the morning, I ask you to keep my Ten Commandments. And I ask you to further the kingdom of God. And that is your purpose every day. And so, to me, when Claire was speaking about our gifts and about who we are, we can reach reformation every day just by asking him. And how awesome it would be if, you know, we ask God that every morning what miracles and what power we would see every day because we would be having to continually grow in our own character and everything because we'd be asking God to keep those Ten Commandments. And, of course, we're going to fall. God knows that. And that's why there's other people to lift us up. So we don't have to reach an age of reformation. We can see it every day in our lives. And I would think that there would be miracles every day, and God would bring people to us, and there would be just so much power. It would be amazing. I was supposed to share that. I think the reason most of us have to wait till we're older for this kind of stuff to happen is because it takes that long for us to learn to quit putting curfews on God. You know, we say you can't, you, you know, you can't do miracles after 8 o'clock or you can't do miracles through me because I'm not educated, I'm not a pastor, I'm not an extrovert, I'm not this, I'm not that. Little kids don't have that problem. Older people, usually we learn, oh, he can do it anyway. 
even though I'm too short, too loud, too this, too that. So you just make up your mind and quit putting curfews on God. It doesn't matter what age you are or what your background is. He's bigger. I'd like to just share a little testimony. This week I was traveling with my job, and I went into um, an account in Broken Arrow, Oklahoma. (laughs) I'd never been to Broken Arrow, Oklahoma, never met this lady before. And um, so anyway, you know, we were were doing our our little business thing. And I, I had alluded to God in my life, you know, during the conversation. And um, anyway, the room that we were in kind of cleared out, and she was sitting across the table from me, and, and she says, will you pray for me? I said, sure, now. And um, she just kind of, I don't know how she responded. And I knew she had, like, come in the back door, so I knew that her car was, was in the back in a parking lot or something. I said, is your car back there? Can we go sit in your car? So so we did. And um, I prayed for her and, and her business. But anyway, she said that she had been mad at God. And um, anyway, at, at the end of it, she just said, God sent you here today. And I'm going to see her again Tuesday. So you guys can, you know, be praying over that. But she's a believer. But she did admit that she had been mad at God. Evidently things aren't going the way she thinks that they should be. But all that to say... You know, I have a new job, and I, God has sent me out, you know, and, and there's a mission field in our daily lives. Okay. Uh, real quick, uh, hopefully. Um, I worked for USAA for nine years, and it is as PC an environment as there is being a large company. And so it's difficult being open about your faith. But you can be open just enough to where people are aware. And over time, I built up a kind of a network of, of Christians from all different streams of the church. Long story short, one of our uh, vice presidents um, got sick with something. I, don't, I never did find out what, but it was something testable like, I don't know, blood chemistry or, I don't know, um, x-ray, whatever other kind of tests there are. And one of my little network people came by and said, hey, we're going to go pray for Betty. You want to come? Sure. And so we all, there's like five of us gathered in this little office. It's about this big right here. <laughs> we were like nose to nose. And we were all just nervous as, you know, the proverbial long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs, you know. And so um, having having prayed with a lot of people before, I was prepared for something different than what actually happened. One guy prayed a real short prayer like that, and everybody was so nervous that everybody just scattered. Everybody just like, okay, it's done, it's gone. And she, the gal went and had the test rerun within a few days, and she was totally healed. That's great. All righty. So if you're standing, that means you want some empowering presence of God. You would like some of his grace if he wants to give. So you just put your hands out to receive his gift. I'm just going to 
close your eyes. I'm just going to say a little something, and then we're just going to let him do his thing. And, you know, I, I want you to, first of all, some of you are stuck on, I'm not good enough, that sin, that problem I have, that addiction. And God says, you know, can you just let me have, give you some unmerited mercy right now? Can I just let me give you some mercy right now? Let the spirit of mercy come upon you. Let the spirit of mercy come upon you. Let the mercy of God come. May the mercy of God come and just melt away the butts, the fears. The, I, I can't melt it away, Lord. Let the spirit of God's mercy, his merciful love come on you. Now receive. Now receive his grace. Receive his empowering presence to be what he's called you to be, to do what he's told you to do. Receive his empowering presence. Walk in his empowering presence this week. Walk in it. Remember it. His empowering presence is with you to nurse the baby, to type that letter, to make that phone call. His empowering presence is there. His empowering presence is for that interview. For that conversation with your dad, the empowering presence is there. Walk in his empowering presence. Walk. Now, some of you are experiencing physical manifestation. Don't be afraid. Energy's touching you. God's energy is okay. Just let it come. Come. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill us, Lord. Fill me, Lord. Thank you, Jesus. We get it, Lord. We get it. I can't, you can. Your grace is sufficient. And in my weakness, your power makes me strong. Okay, there's folks that are really getting in touch with this. I want you to stay standing if you're really, really getting in touch with this. And those of you that feel like, okay, I want to pray for somebody... Just open your eyes and look at the folks around you. God is on folks in a very special way today. And just put your hands on them, on their shoulder, and just ask God to bless what he's doing. Randy, we have a guest here. His name is David II, and God's presence is on him. Blake, he's right in front of you. These ladies right here in this section, God wants to use you this week in an empowering, powerful way. Just watch it. Lay hands on each other, you you fixed gals. The youngs here need prayer. Daniel, Esther, just pray for the empowering presence to come 
and give you back joy. Joy in God. Where you've been robbed from a lot of joy. You've been robbed, Daniel. God remembers. He remembers things you said to him. And you've said about him. And they're just as true now as they were in your 20s. And in your late teens. He loves you, Daniel. May his presence, his power and presence be upon you. So that you will prophesy again. And it will be the word of the Lord. Bethany, would you come lay hands on the folks that you mentor, are mentoring you, the youngs? Martha, Mark over here needs some prayer. Mercy needs some prayer. This gentleman here is standing next to Drew. Would you like some prayer? Yes. Okay, I think Tina is there. I'm going to ask the worship team not to come up because you guys are getting prayed for. So just receive. Don't worry about all Benjamin and Jim can figure out some nice music for us. So worship team, just receive. Mark, you're going to get prayed for, so don't go anywhere. Martha, would you be cool about praying with for Mark? This week, when God comes and empowers you, I want you to write to me. Send me an email. And then tell me if it's public or private information. Because if it's public, I'll be more than happy to give you an opportunity to share it.